back, everybody. This is episode 48 of the Independent Intel Podcast. I am your regular host, Kimboui Bomani, here again with a special guest, um, Chelsea of Launch of the Launch Codes Football Podcast. It is an NFL podcast that has been on Anchor and Spotify platforms. It is on its 40th episode, so to speak. It's a duet, rather, with Chelsea and <clears throat> her co-partner, Chris, who is not able to come today for this special guest appearance. So Chelsea will be representing for the both of them for the Launch Codes football podcast community. And today we'll be talking about a variety of NFL topics as we get back within the NFL circuit. Um, trades have went along, to say the least. Matt Ryan to the Colts, we'll dive into that. Who won the Tyreek Hill trade between the Miami Dolphins and the Kansas City Chiefs? Is Malik Willis a top five draft pick? But we'll start it all off with the new NFL overtime rules that we're going to dive into as well. Um, before we get there, Chelsea, I'm going to let you take the floor and talk about your platform, Launch Codes Football, how you're feeling today, what you can't wait to dive into, and what has stood out to you the most in the NFL circuit. Hey everyone, my name is Chelsea. Happy to be here on Intel Podcast. Thanks for having me, man. Um, yeah, feeling good. Um, lots of interesting stuff going on in the NFL world for sure. Uh, Launch Codes Football, we are an NFL-only podcast. Uh, we don't have... My partner and I, we have teams that we cheer for, obviously. I'm a Colts fan. He's a Panthers fan. But we cover the entirety of the NFL and what goes on. So all of these topics are definitely pre prevalent, to say the least, and they definitely all matter. So I can't wait to dive into it. Always great to have an exciting guest on. I can't wait to dive into football. And I'm not going to even waste our time. We're going to get right into it. So it starts off with the NFL new overtime rules. They dropped during the league um, meetings that happened earlier in the week. And the league owners approved the change to overtime rules on a Tuesday that will ensure both teams will receive a possession in overtime. During the postseason, however, this will not be enacted for the regular season. There was a vote in favor of a rule change that was promoted, rather, given the nodding of approval by 29 teams to three. Um, like I stated before, only applied to the postseason and it was done so because when it comes to the coin toss deciding who wins or doesn't win rather um the last 12 overtime games 10 of them have been by the victors who have won the coin toss so the indianapolis colts and the philadelphia eagles proposed a mandatory possession for both teams in all games they wanted the new overtime rules to be enacted for the regular season and the postseason the nfl wasn't willing to go that far to make it a regular season normality but before we dive into, you know, maybe what Indianapolis and Philly were thinking of. How did you feel about the rules being changed? And did you feel like it was time for another evolution of the overtime sudden death culture in the NFL to take another step forward? Well, backward, rather. I mean, I definitely think that it's interesting. You know, you're always going to have your traditional list, right? Who are going to be like, no, both teams shouldn't possess the ball. Whoever, you know, scores points first deserves to win. And, you know, that will always have a place and that will always have a point. And, you know, I think that that opinion is valid, but at the same time, knowing how offensively heavy the league is at this point, even if you have the best defense in NFL history, it's incredibly difficult to stop someone, especially in an, in a postseason game. Um, doesn't surprise me that both teams proposed for the entirety of the season, because I think that, you know, that would probably be generally preferred. But personally, I don't really care that it's only applying to overtime because, you know, the overtime in the playoffs is so much more high stakes. 
to be frank than it is in the regular season and overtime you know either kills someone's season or you know it continues on so the fact that they just decided to keep it for the playoffs I thought was fine um I do think eventually I think it's inevitable probably that it will become for every game uh, regular season and postseason but I'm full I'm cool with it I mean I think that everyone should get a chance especially in the playoffs so yeah I mean I'm happy (laughs) if my team gets the ball I mean you're not going to hear me sitting over here arguing about that Yeah, who would, who would indeed. And the rule continues, if the score remains tied in the postseason after each team has had a possession, the game will then resort to its traditional sudden death rules. So you talked about traditionalists, um, those individuals who look at any change of the overtime rule as being a threat to the sport. I kind of feel like I side a little bit with the traditionalist side, not to say that overtime rules shouldn't be changed at all. But I did feel like the narrative that came out when Josh Allen wasn't given the opportunity to have the ball in overtime and the Bills lost that playoff game against the Kansas City Chiefs. That's when their narrative popped up where 10 of the last 11 playoff teams who have won overtime games won the coin toss. And it made me really want to dive into what did people mean by that? And so I have these games pulled up rather that kind of break down how these games really went. And how I feel like the narrative of the coin toss, rather, um, being the deciding factor of why somebody can't finish their season or why their season ends, isn't fair to the history of these games. So the Giants and Niners was the first one that really popped up that started this narrative. Um, These were two teams that met in the NFC Championship game. The Niners, both teams, possessed the ball. And it was really the Niners muffing a punt in their own territory that allowed the Giants to take advantage and kick a field goal to go to the Super Bowl where they beat the New England Patriots for the second time. You have the Broncos and Ravens, Seahawks and Packers, two games respectively where um, the Broncos had, the losing team had chances to win. Denver had a chance to beat the Baltimore Ravens to go to the AFC Championship. And then Joe Flacco threw that amazing deep ball to Jacoby Jones that helped that game go into overtime. And then I think in overtime, Denver got the ball first and then fumbled in their own territory and then lost. We all know about the Seahawks and Packers in the NFC Championship game. Green Bay was up throughout that whole matchup. Russell Wilson threw like five interceptions, and then they collapsed basically in the fourth quarter, paramounted by that muffed onside kick that looked like it was going to be the years to close it, and then it wasn't. They lost in overtime. And we know about the Falcons blowing the 28-3 lead. The Saints and Rand game that went to overtime that probably should have never went there because of the P.I. call that wasn't called. Bills-Texans, this was when Josh Allen first go around the postseason they were actually dominating Houston for like a half and then the second half they collapsed Vikings and Saints in 2020 the Vikes won but as a Saints fan I'm willing to admit that game never should have went to overtime but Drew Brees being washed up as he was at the time was on the squad and we were limited so I'm saying all that to say I don't really think the overtime narrative to say to speak was really that important to push during the postseason, because if you look at these track records of these games, none of these teams that lost, I felt like lost because of the coin toss. There were avenues within regulation that weren't executed to their fullest ability to allow them to come out victorious. Uh, to somebody like myself, what do you have to say to such a statement? And do you feel like that statement doesn't matter? Because at the end of the day, it's all about evolving and growing the game. And this is an opportunity to do so with the evolution of the overtime rules. I mean, I think we would both be remiss to not acknowledge also that this is definitely a money move by the NFL. 
because it produces longer games, which produces more money because you get more viewers. So to say that it's just a quote unquote rule change is is not accurate. Like they're doing it for revenue also. But I mean, I think that, you know, what you're saying, I think that you could argue the other side, like all the teams that didn't get the ball and then ended up getting the ball and winning, like they had as many opportunities to win as well. So, I mean, regardless of who wins or loses, like you have opportunities before overtime drops to be able to win the game. So, I mean, I see what you're saying, and I obviously think that it's valid, but I mean, I think inevitably this was still going to happen anyways. And if anything else, I think it just makes the NFL more money. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, rules like that, they're going to say that they're rule changes and they definitely are going to impact the league. Like no one's going to argue that. But to say that it's just a rule change is, yeah, that's that's not accurate. <laughs> yeah, that was really my next proponent I was going to get to. This is a great move for the NFL as a moneymaker, like you stated, Chelsea. And I think that's undeniable because the first thing I looked at when it came to this ruling, I'm like, dang, so that means these games are going to be even longer. Like we're going to have multiple double overtime postseason matchups down the line in the future. And the only double overtime playoff matchup that I remember seeing historically was Rams Panthers back in the early 2000s Carolina was able to put it off back when the Rams were at their peak the greatest show on turf so that'll be more of a normality as we move forward but like I like you stated and like I was going to state later it's a great business move for the NFL more games more revenue more money more streams more viewers and it allows the NFL to flex their muscle or pump out their chest to say the least two other sporting contemporaries within the American sporting culture and be like, this is why we are the best sporting institution professionally from an entertaining perspective out of everybody in this country. So, but like I stated before on the other end, you have multiple opportunities to win a football game, even before overtime. A lot of these matchups I just said, guys had both teams had chances to have the ball and overtime. the latest one, Kansas city, Cincinnati, when Mahomes won the toss mm-hmm. again, everybody was groaning and moaning, and then Cincinnati defense blows up, makes a stop. Burrow gets the ball back in the field goal range. They're off to the Super Bowl. So it was a great game. Just, <laughs> it was a great game indeed. So I think what it says, though, and this is a great thing for the NFL, by the way, business acumen aside, the fact that this rule is implemented showcases the rising and developing talent at the quarterback position, especially in the AFC. I mean, the AFC probably has like, 10 pro bowlers in their conference that are signal callers and so it felt like the nfl was indebted to say the least to pay homage to that rising anomaly down the line by saying you know what in the postseason we want the two best money makers in the league to have a chance to showcase why they are elite in their own right to help lead their teams to victory so it'll be longer games moving forward we're going to see a, a quite a few double overtime matchups to say the least in the postseason but it'll be entertaining though those games will live gonna, in infamy it will live in infamy. They'll be entertaining. There'll be a lot of classics down the line. And it all works out for everyone. The fans get those matchups that they want. The league gets that moneymaker. And then both teams can kind of leave overtime feeling like, you know what? We both got a chance to showcase our best in clutch moments. And we either prevailed or we didn't. And you can live with that moving forward. That's undeniable to say the least. Pivoting up next, um, the Atlanta Falcons and the Indianapolis Colts. Had a transaction. I know Chelsea, Coulter, squad. So this is going to be an enticing topic to talk about on your end. Um, after the Atlanta Falcons went all in on trying to get Deshaun Watson and missed. 
they decided to fully rebuild with Matt Ryan out of the picture. So they traded Ryan to the Indianapolis Colts. Um, in exchange, Atlanta received a 2022 third-round pick. But this is more so about Indy, the team that has Ryan on their squad now, Indy, than Atlanta. Like I just said before, Atlanta's rebuilding. They've kind of accepted the fact that they're moving forward in a post-Matt Ryan era. They're more so galvanizing a lot of picks and resources to align for better quarterback prospects in next year's draft. They may take one this year. So we're going to get to the Malik Willis situation. But for the Colts, they look at Ryan as being what Carson Wentz wasn't. From a Chelsea, from a Colts fan, Chelsea, to say the least, how did you feel about the transaction? Did you feel like it was a positive move for the franchise? And what do you expect Ryan to provide to the offense that Carson struggled to do so this past season? Right. So the Colts have had five quarterbacks over the last five years, right? We're now on our sixth quarterback. When Andrew Luck retired, it really just shot our franchise in the foot. And I would be remiss to say that any other franchise would be in the place that they are now after that catastrophic move like the Colts are. I mean, that was huge. That totally tanked the entire franchise. And honestly, it feels like the Colts have been scrambling ever since. But I was pretty happy with this move. I will say originally I wanted Baker Mayfield more because, you know, as football fans, we get caught up in our emotions, right? Baker Mayfield is younger, you know, probably has a stronger arm, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, you look at Baker Mayfield's last full season of stats compared to Wentz last year, and it's basically a clone of Carson Wentz. So pretty obviously the Colts front office wanted to get away from someone who looked like Carson Wentz, even though, to be honest, Carson Wentz's touchdown to interception ratio was not terrible. Like on paper, it wasn't. Should he have had about seven more? Probably. But on paper, it didn't look terrible. So really, Chris Ballard, the Colts GM, really just did his job extremely well in getting Matt Ryan. I mean, the Colts, they got a third round pick for Carson Wentz, right? They knew they wanted to get rid of Carson Wentz. So that was the first move. Not only did they get a third round pick for Carson Wentz, they also had Washington eat his entire salary. So the Colts did not pay his $28 million that were owed this year, which it's beyond me how Chris Ballard convinced Washington to be able to do that. I guess they were just that desperate, right? So we get this third round pick. And, you know, we're just looking around the league, trying to figure out what we want to do. And apparently Matt Ryan wasn't, you know, the original plan. Who knows what the original plan is? You know, at this point, we'll just never know. But the Colts traded their original third round pick, which was lower to the Falcons for Matt Ryan. And on top of that, the Falcons took the biggest dead cap hit in NFL history. If that does not speak volumes about how epic of a GM that Chris Ballard is, I don't know what it is. He basically flipped Carson Wentz into Matt Ryan for a third round pick. Like that, that's pretty crazy. I mean, I don't, you're not going to find me sitting here saying, yes, Matt Ryan is going to be our quarterback for the next five to seven years. Like that's not true. Like I could see him being here two, three years, you know, something like that. But at the end of the day, he's really just, a longer bridge quarterback than the guys that we've had since Andrew Luck retired. Like no one's going to deny that, but he is definitely better than Carson Wentz. And this team that he's going on, I would argue 
is one of the best teams he will have ever been on as an NFL player. He was on some good teams with the Falcons, the NFL team that made the Super Bowl. Great team. He's had some great pieces. He had prime Julio, you know, Cordell Patterson. Like he's had some spectacular people that he's played with. But he's never had Jonathan Taylor. He's never had a top five offensive line where he's not running for his life. He's never had a top 10 defense outside of a couple of years of his career. I mean, what, he was with Atlanta for, what, 14 years? A couple of years doesn't really mean that much. So I really think that Matt Ryan could put up some pretty good numbers with the Colts if he pans out, which is definitely exciting because, as you were saying earlier, the AFC is absolutely stacked, and the only way that the Colts are going to make the postseason is by winning the AFC South. Like, that's probably going to be the only way to do it. But overall, I'm, I'm pretty happy with it. I mean, went from Carson Wentz throwing shovel pass interceptions to Matt Ryan, who has made it to Super Bowl. So, you know, can't really argue with that. Yeah, Chris Ballard, like you stated, a wizard. Because after the Jacksonville debacle, where they lost to Jacksonville oh, to end the year, weren't able so to get terrible. to the playoffs, he went out of his way and was like, you know what? I do not like Carson Wentz, and I'm ready to move on from early. And a lot of people looked at Carson with his stats. They looked at the touchdown and interception ratio, the passing yards, and all of those things that are easy to see on the box score without really noticing his discrepancies on the field on a, sun, on a weekly basis every Sunday. I had the opportunity right. to obviously watch and recap a few Colts games last year for PFF, and it was pretty clear that Jonathan Taylor was their offense. And yeah. <laughs> they required Carson Wentz to make about five to six big-time throws weekly just to get them to be able to move the change so Taylor could be even more effective on the ground in red zone-oriented options. And he struggled to do those things. You know, he had a couple of wild throws like Carson Wentz always does where you're like, man, yep. that arm talent's unreal. Then he had a couple of inaccurate ones, and then he had a couple of boneheaded decisions where he turns the ball over. Mm -hmm. it's, it's undeniable. So yeah. Indianapolis was ready to move on from him. My question just was, in the moment, what better can you get that's not Wentz? I, I, right. I heard that you said Baker Mayfield was an option that you wanted to have because we never thought Matt Ryan was going to be on the trading block. And I just feel like with Mayfield, I think his ceiling is a lot lower than Wentz. I don't think his upside – I think his upside is what he is. I feel like last season with Baker, he had no business playing with that bum shoulder. I said that live. I was like, he really shouldn't be out there. He's not 100%. I know what 100% Baker Mayfield looks like. It's it's an average quarterback, slightly above average. But it's Hurt not Mayfield, terrible, but it's not, it's, you know, it's the not best. Great. Yeah. But we saw Hurt Mayfield is very, very poor. Like, yeah, hurry up and get – hurry up and give Deshaun Watson – the moon and the stars type poor because they couldn't stand right. him anytime soon. Um, so with Andy Ballard, he really lucked up with Atlanta kind of going all in on Watson and failing, which kind of raised the eyebrows of Matt being like, okay, my future with the Falcons is over. If they're looking for my successor in a transaction that they really were hinging their futures on that they didn't know how it, how it would pan out. So Matt Ryan got the best of both worlds. Ballard got the best of both worlds by being able to shyst, Washington and make de make business deals with an Atlanta Falcon squad that was basically saying we're rebuilding. So right. we're going to let Matt Ryan dictate where he wants to go. He wants to go here. We're going to get him there and we're going to take just a third round draft pick. And it's not like Matt Ryan's stock was super high, but considering that this quarterback class coming in, it's pretty weak. 
And there weren't a lot of free agent quarterback caliber talents on the market that made you go, wow, he could come in and start. You would think Matt Ryan maybe would cost Indy's second round pick. Mm-hmm. But Atlanta was like, you know what? We'll eat his cap space. We'll give you a third and Matt Ryan as, as a housewarming gift, basically. Like, you got him. Now, for Indy, the question is, what Matt Ryan will they get? And I'm not going to lie. When they got him, I was like, okay, cool. They're going to have him basically be what Carson Wentz couldn't be a game manager at this point of his career, um, be accurate with the football, be concise with his decision-making. He's going to be playing behind an offensive line that is better than the one he had in Atlanta the last few years, and he's got a running game going for him. And while the weapons, in my opinion, on the pa- in the passing game with Indy is kind of the same like he had in Atlanta where it's you got one number one, Michael Pittman. Just like in Atlanta, you had one number one, uh, Kyle Pitts, especially when Calvin Ridley – um, went out with, you know, the health issues and, and you know, it's out for good because of gambling. So it's kind of the same situation there, but better offensive line, better defense, better running game. And he's going to be really taxed to just manage the game and be effective there. It's a perfect, really, opportunity for Matt Ryan to be successful here. But are you going to get 2016, Matt? I don't think so. That Matt was incredible. 47 touchdowns, seven picks, 9.1 ADOT. And just last year, he had a second lowest ADOT in offensive grade, 7.8 and 75.8, respectively, of his NFL career. And like I stated before, it could really be in large part because Atlanta's O-line wasn't that great and his receiving threats out wide weren't that great either. But Indianapolis is kind of going through their own offensive line change as well. They've got to figure out their own receiving situation too because outside of Michael Pittman, there's really nobody else. Yeah, they have Jonathan Taylor and yeah, you still have Quentin Nelson. As a Colts fan yourself, how can they figure those things out really looks like in the draft because they have all this draft capital to where you get more weapons outside of Michael Pittman and fortify that offensive line so Matt Ryan could be effective as a game manager. Right. So you will not find me sitting here saying that our offense currently looks superb when it comes to wide receiver and tight end options, because quite frankly, it is not. Michael Pittman is a bona fide wide receiver one. I mean, the dude had over a thousand years with sporadic Carson Wentz. So anyone who tries to come up to me and tell me that he is not a wide receiver one, I just quite frankly don't believe them. Because if you look at the stat line and if you look at what, what he did, that's not true. But, you know, Indianapolis is a small, small market team. Most people don't really give a crap about Indianapolis, so they wouldn't really know anyways. So outside of Michael Pittman, yeah, yeah, it's, it's a little tough. We lost Zach Pascal to the Eagles, which honestly I wasn't really that salty about because he was probably a low-end wide receiver three at minimum. Um, we have Paris Campbell, who is really good. Speedy, great route runner, great hands, playmaker, etc. He just has injury issues. But when he's been on the field, he's been absolutely electrifying. I am praying to God that he stays healthy this year because if he does, that's going to add a completely new aspect to our passing offense. And we have some younger guys. I don't know if you know, but Reggie Wayne is the new wide receiver coach with Indianapolis, which for all of the young guys that we have gives me a little bit of hope that we haven't gone out and signed a wide receiver yet because Reggie Wayne is the second best pass catching wide receiver in Indianapolis Colts history behind Marvin Harrison. Um, So that will help. We have a couple of guys. I mean, we have Desmond Patman who played some last year. He's not bad, obviously not a wide receiver too, though. I mean, we have a couple of other guys, Michael Strachan, who has big potential. 
hasn't played. Ashton Doolin played some last year, actually didn't look that bad. Not a bona fide wide receiver too. Right now, I would say that Paris Campbell would probably be wide receiver three. We really need a solid wide receiver two. I don't care if it's a veteran. I don't care if it's a rookie. Quite frankly, I don't really care at all. I just hope that we sign someone because our GM, Chris Ballard, has said that he has great faith in the wide receiver room. And all of us Colts fans on Reddit are like, where are you seeing this, Chris? Where is it? But there was a report that came out in the last day or two that apparently they are planning on playing Naheem Hines in the slot, which if you have seen any Naheem Hines film, you know that that dude could pop off in the slot. And, you know, to be frank, Jonathan Taylor shouldn't split carries. Last year, you know, they tried to at the beginning of the season, and then really they just gave up because Jonathan Taylor was just so good. You know, you have Hines back there as an option if Taylor has a weak injury, if he needs some rest, et cetera. But honestly, if Naheem Hines is looking for running back snaps with the Colts, he's not going to get them. He's just not. So I am with potentially moving him to the slot. Like he's not big, but guys who play in the slot typically aren't anyways. So if he has the hands for it and he has the route skills, he could theoretically transition. Do I think that that makes him wide receiver too? Obviously not. We still need someone else, but it's, there's just a lot of things hinging on it. Cause I mean, we don't have a first round pick, right? Because of Carson Wentz. So, you know, the highest pick we're going to have is in the second round and there's going to be some really, really good wide receivers there in the second round when we take our, when we have our pick. And I just hope that we pick one. We also need a tight end. I mean, Do we need a tight end or do we not need a tight end? If you're a Colts fan, half of us are like, yes, we need a tight end. And half of us are like, what are you talking about? We don't need a tight end. Jack Doyle retired, right? He was the man. He was on the Colts. Andrew Luck era. Like he's been on the Colts so long. Homegrown, you know, great guy. He retired. He was like 30. Like, good for you. Live your life. We have Mo Cox, who was really talented. And it just really got on my nerves last year that they did not give him more opportunities to touch the ball because the dude can literally jump like five feet off the ground. So if he could get some more catches, refine his catching skills and stuff like that, I think that he could potentially be the top tight end. We took Granson last year. He hasn't really developed yet. There's some, there's some really, really good tight end prospects this year too. So it would definitely not surprise me if we took a tight end, you know, in the first four rounds. I just think that we have bigger needs than tight end. I mean, (laughs) we need a wide receiver. We probably need another cornerback. I mean, we need linemen. Like, we need a couple of things that are kind of, you know, more important than a third tight end. But I know that that guy from, um, what's his name, from um, Virginia Tech, like Jelani Woods or whatever his name is, the tight end, I've seen a bunch of mocks that have the Colts taking that guy. And I would be pretty stoked about that because he's really good. I mean, you're going from Pitts to Big Mo. So, I mean, you know, there's a significant drop off from, you know, what he had to what he didn't. I don't think he has nothing now, but it could obviously be improved. So it's going to be interesting to see kind of what they decide to do with the offense. I mean, we lost Chris Reed the offensive tackle slash guard, whatever he plays to the Vikings, which means Danny Pinter is starting this year, which statistically speaking, he's been awesome when he's played, but also he has not played a whole season. So I'm a little scared, but it's okay. 
it'll work out the way it's supposed to. But all in all, I mean, I think generally speaking that the offense is better. Apparently, I saw reports, not sure if these reports are true, you know, Twitter lies, but apparently the Colts have not only offered Honey Badger a contact, a contract, because, you know, three safety system with our new um, defensive coordinator. Apparently, we've also offered Jarvis Landry, which I would love as just someone, a veteran, you can slide in there. You can still take a wide receiver in the draft. That's cool. But you've plugged the hole for now. Like, I would love if we signed him. Personally, I don't really want Julio Jones because when he went to the Titans last year, they traded for him for a second and a fourth round pick. I looked at my fiance and I said, they're going to regret that. He's not going to stay healthy. And what did he do? Not stay healthy. And they literally cut him. So, I mean, you know, we made a mistake with Carson Wentz. We gave up, you know, a conditional second. So I can't really talk that much. But I mean, the second he went to Tennessee, I was like, he's going to be bad. And he was. And it's not even that I wanted him to be bad. He's just old and washed and can't stay healthy. I don't want someone like that on my team who's going to eat up 10 plus million dollars of cap space. If I'm going to give someone a $10 million contract, I want to give it to Jarvis Landry, not Julio Jones. So, yeah, it'll be interesting. The offseason is still continuing with all the mocks and stuff coming out. I also, you know, to side note, saw a report also that apparently the Colts considered offering two first-round picks for a young quarterback. Not sure if that's accurate. If I had to guess who that was, it would not surprise me if it was Kyler Murray. They try were considering prying Kyler Murray away from the Cardinals after the whole fiasco that's gone on there, but that didn't happen. It is what it is. I'm just happy that we have a quarterback now. And I would even argue that we have the best quarterback in the AFC South now, because I think that Tannehill is undercover trash, but that's another argument. <laughs> yeah. I think saying Matt Ryan is the best quarterback in the AFC South over Tannehill. I don't really think that's a hot take. I think that they're neck and neck at this point in their careers. Like you stated, you know, Indianapolis is in a spot where it would do them wonders to dive into the free agency pool at wide receiver and draft somebody. I think get a vet and get a, a young guy that you can mold into your offensive system wouldn't hurt either. Jarvis Landry, in my opinion, is probably the best receiver out there. Odo Beckham Jr. won't be back until late November. You just talked about Julio Jones. He's washed goods. And some other guys that are on the list that I can't name, but I don't think you can go wrong with Landry. I think the holdup with Landry is the contract. Like he expects up top notch receiver dollar. The Jaguars the of, broke the market. They did. Due oh to the likes of my Christian gosh. Christian, I, I saw that contract. I was like, we're not signing a receiver now. There's no way they broke it. It's cool. That, that, that contract was crazy. Now to Jacksonville's credit, they did a great job coming out and saying there's incentives. So it's not like he can make all of that at a maximum rate. If you finish okay, his contract, it's still. easy to avoid, but guaranteeing almost 30 plus million dollars too. And I like Kirk, but at best he's a slot receiver. No, so I mean, Kirk, he's good, but he's not good. $70 million yeah. worth of good. That was just Jacksonville being Jacksonville. You know, they're going to Jacksonville. It is what it is. It's Jacksonville being Jacksonville and it's Jacksonville also understanding no one wants to come to our organization after the urban debacle. So we got to overpay mm -hmm. guys. So that's the blessing and the curse there. Um, with the Colts back to Indy. Yeah, look, Michael Pittman is a is a stud. He's a stud. And a lot of people wanted to see Kitty take that next step as wide receiver one in his sophomore campaign. And he did that. And now it's really just about finding that wide receiver two. 
Paris Campbell just hasn't been able to stay on the field. 15 games so sad. in three years. That's, that's, that's tough to see. That's very tough to see. And like you just stated, the talent is there. It's just about being healthy enough to showcase it. And so I think Indy needs to understand and maybe even accept the fact that you may not get the best out of PC long-term. Maybe that's his ceiling as an NFL pro. He's just in and out of the lineup with injuries. So you got to draft his replacement. 42 overall is a nice landing spot where maybe a Christian Watson can be there, but his hype has been so paramount. I don't mm-hmm. think he'll be there at that point. But this is a deep receiver class, a very deep one. I know everybody's Maybe talking a about the Drake Pickens. London's. A George know. Pickens would be a nice value pick. Look, Drake London's getting all the love. Jameson Williams is as well. Alave and Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Those guys are the cream of the crops. But you can't go wrong with a Traylon Burks. You can't go wrong with a Christian Watson, a Sky Moore. Um, you can get solid value at the receiver position around two. And so I wouldn't be shocked. If Indy with their second round pick and their third round pick get a pass catching tight end and a number two receiver and just let it rock from there because yeah, I mean, you don't need the rookie to come in and be the guy. It's not, that's not what we're asking. We just need them to come in and perform. And if you turn into the guy, great. How much better is that for us? But it's not like we're going to be like, Hey, so we drafted you. Also, we expect you to have 115 catches this year and 1,500 yards and 10 touchdowns. Like, that's not what the Colts are asking. So hopefully that'll kind of make the rookies be like, oh, okay, thank you. Right. A benefit getting a guy in the second or third round is his rookie year. You just want him to be a valuable asset to the team. A guy where when the season's over, you can look at his stat sheet for the year and see, oh, he was a 50-catch guy this season. Not bad for the rookie. He's coming around and eventually he can mold into something in year three and year four. And you talked about Mo Ali Cox. I think he might benefit the most from Matt Ryan coming in. If Matt Ryan can do one thing, he'll utilize his tight ends. Tony Gonzalez, Kyle yep. Pitts. Loved watching and, him. And even um the guy that uh used to play for the Baltimore Ravens, he's now with the Cincinnati Bengals. He didn't resign with Atlanta. Hurst. Hayden Hurst, Hurst. Hayden Hurst. Hayden Hurst. He was able to utilize him probably at the most highest rate that Hurst has ever had in his NFL career right. Sadly, because he was um on the Baltimore Ravens playing opposite of Mark Andrews. I mean, that's a tough break there, but yeah, he's tough. always been able to utilize his tight ends to his advantage. So Ali Cox is going to be a success story, but I think for Indy's bet, if you can have another rookie tight end, like a Trent McBride from Colorado state as a tag team mm-hmm. with that number two wide receiver, you drafted in the second round, maybe even the third. Now Indianapolis passing game looks a lot better. But they got to figure out their offensive line. Mark Lewinsky is gone. He wasn't the best tackle for them, but he's not going to be there. Um, well, he was a guard, rather. Um, Eric That's Fisher, okay. they haven't, they haven't re-signed Eric. Like him anyways. I've heard that. And um, Eric Fisher as well. He hasn't been re-signed. Wasn't the biggest Eric Fisher fan during his days in Kansas City. And a year after his um, Achilles injury, he didn't look the same either with the Colts. So it's not like they're going to miss these guys. But you need to be able to implement replacements that can at least perform at an adequate or even as a benefit a high level to protect Matt Ryan because you don't want to get Matt Ryan and then this offensive line has been solid for the last three or four years falls apart and then you don't get the best out of Matt because Matt skinny has been even in his prime he's not the greatest under pressure so you got to be able to protect him so he can be an adequate passer I'm pretty sure that Matt Pryor is going to get moved to left tackle because when Eric Fisher was hurt last year, that's who played. And quite honestly, he was kind of better than Eric Fisher. So if it ends up being Matt Pryor, Quentin Nelson, who's like the cornerstone, like, I don't know if 
Colts fans have suffered for pretty much the entire duration of our franchise's existence with a bad offensive line. And then we found Quentin Nelson and all of us were like, hallelujah, we actually found a lineman that's not mediocre. So it'll be him. And then it will be Ryan Kelly, who's really good, one of the best centers. And then it will be Pinter, who will probably be fine. I would have rather kept um, the the guy who went to the Vikings, who I can't currently recall. But losing Glowinski, I didn't care about that. Like, I would have rather have kept Reed, if I'm being honest. But he was older and more expensive. And Pinter is younger and cheaper and has a good stat line. So, and then we have Braden Smith. So, I mean, Braden Smith had injury issues last year. But if everyone pans out, it should still be okay. <laughs> And even if it isn't, those three guys that we have, the left guard and and the um, Braden Smith and Ryan Kelly, I mean, those three alone are better than probably half of the offensive lines in the league currently. So even if it's just them who pan out, we'll still probably be fine. Yeah, when Glowinski went to the Giants, there were plenty of Colts fans that were like, eh, not that big of a <laughs> loss. So, <laughs> so and, and I know anytime a Colts team this iteration of the Colts, rather, losing an offensive lineman, they go somewhere else, you automatically think, whoa, they're pretty good because of the dominance of Quinn Nelson. And then Ryan Kelly's been solid and Braden Smith as well. But those are their, those are their three guys, and not everybody on a great offensive line is fabulous. Glowinski's more than likely was him and Fisher with a weaker link. So they're yeah. guys that you can replace. You just need to find compensatory replacements that can at least play above their peak level, which wasn't the greatest anyway. Want to touch base on Nahi Hines before we pivot to the next topic. Him being implemented as a slot receiver for them gives me a lot of Alvin Kamara vibes, what he was to the Saints yeah. when Drew Brees was still on the roster. That's a great move for Indy if they decide to do that. Look, Jonathan Taylor's come in and is basically etched in stone RB1. He's the bell cow. So you don't want to just have Naeem just be on the sidelines um, for like 60% of the plays. So implement him in the passing game. Utilize him to his fullest advantage because he's one of the more dynamic dual threat backs in the game underrated to say the least because when you think of guys that can catch out the backfield and run between the tackles and utilize their acceleration and agility think of Kamara you think of Christian McCaffrey and what those guys have in common are they are starters for their teams Nae Himes is a secondary running back but he's one of the more important secondary running backs for his team because he got paid included (laughs) he got paid which showcases the value that Andy had show that Andy has for him on their roster when he's utilized to his maximum ability, it can be a problem. And last year, Matt Ryan and Cordero Patterson had a nice little connection outside mm-hmm. of the backfield, running like what that. That's what Naeem Hines will provide for Ryan again this year. Smart move by the Colts. Look, you're finding your, your bell cow back in the second round at Taylor. Don't let Naeem's skill set just sit away on the bench. Utilize him any way you can. As a slot receiver, it's fine, but I still think it needs to go out of the way in the draft and get pass catching tight end. And a, and a number two receiver to help Michael Pittman because you don't want to come into the year with Pittman as your one, Naeem Himes as your best, second best receiver, which is not the greatest thing to have because as good as Naeem Himes is out of the backfield, you don't want your running back to be your wide receiver too. It's never a good sign. Right. And I mean, I think that if they legitimately changed him to a wide receiver in the slot, I think that that would really help the offense because the teams that play us the most ever since we've drafted Naheem Hines and Jonathan Taylor, they know that when Naheem Hines is on the field, it's probably a screen or an outside run or an end around because 
he's smaller. Like, can he go in between the tackles? Yes. And there is film evidence of that, but it's not his strength. His strength is outside of the tackles. And when he gets outside the tackles, I mean, that dude backflips in the end zone. So to say that he is not an asset, people who say that I'm just like, clearly you just have not watched Naheem Hines. If they made him a slot dude, if it was like short to intermediate passing for the slot, he could be spectacular, but that doesn't, like you said, negate the fact that we still need an actual guy who's an actual receiver for his whole career outside of someone who might be switching. So, yeah, I mean, fantasy players would love Nyimes to be the Colts oh, yeah. wide receiver too, but if you're like a legitimate Colts fan, pretty sure long-term that's not the answer. And I think Indy will figure it out. As I said, having a, Second pick, second round pick, having a third round pick, um, a handful of fifths. I mean, they have the picks. And what I've been telling people is the deepest NFL draft in a while. I know the quarterback class isn't it, but everything else is solid. You can get solid linemen. You can get solid running backs. You can get solid receivers, compensatory tight ends. And then the D-line in the corners, I haven't even gotten to those. You can get some high commodities in those positional platforms. But Andy, man, you know, they did it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think they could do it because when Wentz didn't pan out like they thought, it was kind of like they came out and said Wentz won't be on the team next year. So we knew this. It just really came down to who's gonna be the replacement. And to fall back on Matt Ryan for probably, like you said, a one or two-year clip. And then next year, depending on how the season pans out and a much better quarterback clash, you can get his replacement in the back half of a first round. Because everybody's talking about. Um, the C.J. Strouds and the Bryce Youngs, but there's always that guy that pops out of nowhere next year that makes a splash. And maybe one of those guys falls, or then maybe the quarterback class as a whole in college plays better. So you can get some value in the first round. So the Colts position themselves to be competitive now, and then in the next year or so, find their inevitable replacement for Matt Ryan, because we stated he's got about two or three good years left in him. Right. And just as an ending note, fun fact, did you know that Obviously, everyone knows that Washington, you know, reached out to every single team about their quarterback to see who was available, even the stupid teams like the Chiefs and like the Packers. Like, why would you do that? Apparently, a report came out that Washington contacted the Colts about trading for Andrew Luck. And when they realized they couldn't get Andrew Luck, they then resorted to Carson Wentz. If Andrew Luck won't come out of retirement for the Colts, why would he come out of retirement to go to Washington? I read that. I was like, that's the dumbest headline I have ever read about my team. And that's saying something because my team has done some dumb things. Man, wow. It just showcases how desperate the Washington commanders truly are. And it'll be amazing to see what their fan base is thinking now in the context of what DFP. Kirk Cousins top dollar now I mean they're really a Kirk Cousins quarterback away from being a playoff team probably not a playoff team that does anything spectacular but if Kirk was still on the squad they'd be a lot they're not bad they're not a bad team they're not a bad team their defense did underperform last season yeah Um, they still have a variety they're not bad I amended my statement (laughs) (laughs) on paper indeed Up next, talking about a team that went from they're not that bad to potentially being contenders in their division, the Miami Dolphins. They have Tyreek Hill now. Tyreek Hill is a Miami Dolphin. Who would have thought that two weeks ago? But he is on the squad. Kansas City and Miami, they both did business. The Chiefs traded their six-time Pro Bowler Tyreek Hill to the Dolphins for five draft picks, a 2022 first-round pick, a second-round pick, a fourth-round pick, 
plus fourth and sixth round picks in next year's draft this past week. Well, we asked week prior. So the trade's in. Um, this is where Tyreek wanted to go all alone after him and Kansas City couldn't agree on making him the highest paid receiver in the game. Now, before we dive into who doesn't help the most or who's going to benefit the most or who's the biggest loser, we're going to dive into all those things. I find it odd that the Chiefs did this deal, all right? And right when they finished the deal, two days later, it was like, yo, they're searching for um, a top flight receiver in the trade market. I'm like, dude, like you had one on your squad. If if you really value the top flight receiver in your passing game that much, make Tyreek Hill the highest paid. I, this is me personally, considering what I've seen my Saints do, what I've seen the Rams do currently in the last two free agency periods. Cap space is a myth. And what I mean by a myth in my eyes is, these billionaires, organizations rather, they can pay whatever they need to pay if they want a winning player on their program to become a winning foundation. They can do it. And we've seen teams do it before. So if the Chiefs truly wanted Tyreek to be on their squad so they can continue to compete for championships, they would have made him the highest paid. Like just find a way to ruffle some feathers, do something to make it fit economically. Now let's go back to the trade in its totality. When this move went down, who did you automatically feel like was going to be the beneficiary? Chiefs, Dolphins, Tyreek Hill, or maybe even Tua? I think it depends on if you're talking short-term or long-term. So in the short-term, I would go with the Dolphins simply because Tua has no excuses now. He has an absolutely loaded offense. And adding Tyreek to that is just going to make it that much better. So if the Dolphins are still bad this year, unfortunately, it probably is Tua's fault, which is a real shame because I think Tua gets overhated on, and I really don't think he's as bad as people paint him out to be. So in the short term, the Dolphins, will they probably, will they win a championship? No, because the AFC is just too stacked. But for them as a team, it's a huge win. Now, long term, probably the Chiefs. To get that many draft picks for a wide receiver who is nearing his 30s is pretty crazy. Like, you don't see that happen that often for good reason. I mean, the Chiefs front office is good. They'll, they'll make the picks worth it. Like, they'll do something with them, and they'll turn them into something worthwhile. But, man, it's going to – the AFC West is going to be must-see football this year. Every single team is absolutely loaded on both sides of the ball. I'm not, I'm not a, even a casual fan of any teams in the AFC West, but I'm going to be watching all of them because that division is just insane. It's going to be very interesting to see how the Chiefs offense evolves without Tyreek Hill because for so long, they've been known for Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. And, you know, over the last year or two, people finally started to figure it out, right? And it wasn't as good as it once was. But to say that it was bad, like it was by no stretch bad. People just got used to it. You know, they knew it was coming. And sometimes they could stop it, but still usually they couldn't stop it. Like that's just the reality. Makes me wonder, though, I don't think that Tua is a bad quarterback, but I do think that Tua has a worse arm than Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes has arguably the best arm strength in the league. And that's one of the reasons that Tyreek Hill was so good. You combine the arm strength with the speed. Once you get around the corner or the safety, all you got to do is throw it super far, right? Obviously, I'm oversimplifying. But, you know, 
touchdown, woohoo, win game. So I, I don't know if you're going to see the exact same style of plays with the Dolphins in regards to Tyreek Hill just because of how different Tua is from Patrick Mahomes. That's no hate on Tua, like at all. But yeah, long term, I'm going to go with the Chiefs. I mean, they signed Juju. They still have Travis Kelsey signed other people. I mean, the Chiefs are still going to be good. I just wonder if they're going to be as dominant offensively because historically speaking over the last, what, three to four years, the, the Chiefs defense has not been known to carry them. And without Tyree Kill, it just makes me wonder if the offense is going to be able to either in the vast majority of the games that they play this upcoming season. All valid points indeed. So I'm going to dive into this topic by addressing the contract that Miami gave Hill four years, $120 million extension to the deal he already had with Kansas City that was going to expire next year. $72.2 million guaranteed, also including a $52.5 million signing bonus. So basically, a lot of $52 million at signing. So it's it's a crazy, crazy deal. (laughs) Now, you touched base on the five five draft picks that the Chiefs were able to get from Hill. Hill is a top five receiver in the game. And oh, yeah. some a lot of players called him the Steph Curry of his position because his speed just takes tops off the of defenses and it just opens up the field for a variety of other weapons to be successful. It will be missed for Kansas City. And you brought up a great point. Defenses did figure it out with the too high safety look. They were basically daring Kansas City to run the football and Which to nickel and die them <laughs> down the field. And the crazy part about it is Kansas City – could kind of run the ball. I'm going to have to um, disagree with you there a little bit. They could run it. They just weren't committed to the run. And that's even worse than not being able to run the football. Because That's true. If, I mean, yeah. Because if you can't run the football very well because your offensive line sucks and your running back's running for his life as soon as he gets the ball, I can understand that. But when I've seen you be able to get three or four yards to carry and you don't want to commit to it, it's kind of disappointing. And it's odd because when we look at Andy Reid's past, his Philadelphia roots with McNabb Mm -hmm. and Buckholzer and Westbrook, they ran the football a lot (laughs) like they did. And it really opened up their passing acumen with McNabb and especially with Alex Smith. But you get a guy like Patrick Mahomes, he's got this bazooka of an arm. You go away from your traditional philosophies and you think you can just outsling people every single Sunday. And it doesn't work that way. I'll take you can. (laughs) I'll take you can. And it didn't work out for him against Cincinnati. It's one of the main reasons why I think they lost to the Bengals. They got away from the running game. They got away from nickel and diming at Cincinnati defense that in the second half dropped nine in coverage. You got to run down their throat against some type of defensive acumen like that. And they refused not to. Now for the Dolphins, can get back to the Chiefs a little later. For Miami, look, I agree with you. Tua Tungavaloa is not that bad. And I, I get that people don't like him. Like his own teammates don't like him, which is cringe and unfortunate for That's Tua. so terrible, man. That is so bad because you're the quarterback of the team. And every and he's young, of, too. And he's like, young. And he's not a bad guy. He's and not. I, he's so nice. He's so nice. And I never heard during his time at Alabama, his teammates hating on him. Jalen Hurts never had a bad issue with him. Neither did Mac Jones. And they're in the NFL. So it's unfortunate that his own peers in the league are like, I don't like this dude. And a lot of it has to do with they just don't feel like he's good enough to help them get to where they need to go. But you know what Tua does remind me of? He reminds me of a left-handed Jerry Goff. When mm-hmm. Jerry Goff was under Jeff Fisher, he was nothing. He was he was, he yeah. was not good. He was trash. Yeah. Now, granted, he was on, only under Jeff Fisher for a year. Sean McVay comes in. He's able to mold Jerry Goff into the best image possible. 
provide him with a variety of skill set players to maximize his potential. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Sammy Watkins, you name it. Todd Gurley at that time. And Jared Goff was able to reach his top overall peak in the Sean McVay years before he crashed and burned eventually. But you got about three good years of golf, I, I feel like. You got about three good years of golf. I think Miami can get two to three top five years of tour. It turns into wow. my top five quarterback years. That's a hot but take. Two or three years of tour where he lives up to his top five draft pick billing. And the reason why is because I saw him play with Jalen Waddle this season. And he had phenomenal chemistry with Waddle. And it made me yep. realize two is at his best when he has receivers on the outside that could separate. He's a guy who's doesn't have the strongest arm, who's accurate, but he needs passable windows to throw into to be effective as a quarterback. So guys like Devontae Parker and I think Seth Williams was on the squad. They weren't great matchups with him that coincided with his skill set because they were big body receivers that couldn't separate. They needed pinpoint accurate balls and tight window coverage to be effective. So that's why him and Devontae Parker never had great chemistry and everybody else on the roster that was on the squad as well. We were never able to see what he was able to do with Will Fuller because Will Fuller was hurt basically all year. So yep. they were like, you know what? They saw what he was able to do at Waddle. So Mike McDaniel comes in and he's like, Sheesh, there's a waddle in Kansas City. It's Tyreek Hill. So now they have that's what I recently said on a few podcasts prior. I was like, Tua just needs about three Jalen Waddles. Easier said than done, <laughs> right? But what I meant by that was Does he, he want needs, Paris Campbell for a first round pick? Campbell for a first round pick? I don't know about that. But <laughs> what I mean is he needs guys that are able to separate at the line of scrimmage, be able to make substantial gains after the catch and be able to be productive in the intermediate aspects of the field because that's where Tua is comfortable throwing at in the intermediate rounds of the field. As a short to intermediate quarterback, he's the best. Deep balls, he's not as bad as what people think, but we can all admit that's not his specialty. So what you get is Hill, Waddle, guys who have the speed to take the top off the defense, but they're so electric because of the threat to being deep threats. They can be able to get in and out of their breaks in the intermediate route tree and be effective with the ball after the catch. So Waddle and Hill are going to be phenomenal assets to Tua. They got Cedric Wilson from Dallas. He, yep, that he was, was a, a very underrated slot guy as well. Exactly. Yeah. And they're trying to basically trade Devontae Parker for some compensation in the draft. If they're able to keep Devontae Parker as a wide receiver four, that's also a steal. And all of a sudden, where in Tua's first two years, we kept saying, yeah, he doesn't have receivers. He doesn't have an O-line. They got Teron Arstead to be his left tackle. You Great traded ad. for... Tyreek Hill. You drafted Jalen Waddle, who's a stud. Yep. You got Cedric Wilson. Now mm-hmm. it feels a lot two like two new running backs, too. Two new running backs with Chase Edmonds and Raheem Moster. It feels a lot like what Jared Groff had his second year in the league and his first year on the Sean McVay. A better offense over, overall. And now we get to see the full potential of Tua because, you know, I said this about Tonga Ball, which isn't bad when I say this. Some guys are just able to just come into a trash situation and elevate talent. Justin Herbert ran Phillip Rivers offense for a whole year during his rookie season and was phenomenal. Not everybody's (laughs) blessed like that. Joe Burrow, as great as he was last season, was underratedly a stud in his rookie year with no O-line. T. Higgins was his number one receiver. Tyler Boyd was number two. And those guys are studs in their own right, but they're better consulary pieces around, you know, Jamar Chase. Burrow was phenomenal in that situation. Patrick Mahomes came into what Alex Smith left behind and took yep. off one MVP. That's not Tua. Wow. Tua needs an offense built around him. 
he can't just step into the remnants of Ryan Fitzpatrick's offense and thrive. That's that's just not him. He needs speedsters out. He needs speedsters behind him in the backfield. He needs speedsters out wide. He needs guys to be able to take advantage of his pinpoint accuracy in the short intermediate aspects of the field. And then from there, he could be successful. So I'm going out on a limb and I'm going to say this Tua to Tungvaloa will have a career season next year because of these weapons. If he stays healthy, obviously that's the biggest caveat with Tua. He can't stay healthy to save his life, but he's able to play in the double digits this year. He's going to have a career year. And I think people will look back on this transaction and be like, man, it paid off when it came to seeing Tua's ceiling. But you're right. Long-term, Kansas City can win this. Look, Mahomes is a superstar. And a lot of people don't realize Tyreek Hill didn't make Mahomes. I can make the case Mahomes helped make Tyreek. Let's be yeah. real here. When Hill was with <laughs> Alex Smith, yeah, he was he was Debo That's what Sane. I'm saying. Yeah, right. Like Not when that he was, was with bad Alex, with Smith, he wasn't bad with Smith, but he was kind of what Debo Samuel is with the Niners under Garoppolo, where you're doing a variety of things to make up for the fact that your quarterback is a little bit limited as a passer, which is fine, but it also minimizes your upside as a receiver. And so that's what Hill was with Alex Smith. When Mahomes comes and he can throw all across the yard, there is no limitations in his arm. It opens up what you can be as a receiver, and your upside is maximized to the point where you become the highest-paid receiver in the league. You can thank Mahomes for that. So is Mark Quez, Valdez, Scantlin, Tyreek Hill? No. All right. It's I wanted Smith. him, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, a lot of teams wanted him. My Saints wanted him, but Kansas City was able to pay top dollar for him. When it came to pay his dollar projected him, but... projected value, but <laughs> Marta, Marquez Valdez Scantling, Juju Smith Schuster, they still have Miko Hartman. They're all B list receivers, and I wouldn't be shocked if Kansas City drafts a young wideout with pick twenty nine with upside like a Christian Watson or if a Traylon Burks falls that four, they cop him, and they really want DK Metcalf. I don't think Seattle's giving up DK Metcalf right now, but if they are, they'd go after him as well. But Mahomes has shown enough to me throughout his career where he can be productive with some B-list guys. But yeah. you're right. Their offensive system will be a lot different. It will be a lot alike to the Andy Reid teams during the Philly tenure where they ran the football a lot more. They were a West Coast offense where there was a lot of short and intermediate passing concepts. Mahomes is going to have to be a lot more patient with what the defense gives them. Really setting up the run and the intermediate passing game for the deep shot plays. They're not going to look like what they used to be two years ago where they were basically Golden State Warriors on grass. It was a right. shot put play every time he stepped out on the field. They're going to look a lot of different, but they got arguably the best quarterback in football. And yeah. when you have that on your roster, you're always going to be a playoff team. As much as we complain about Aaron Rodgers not having enough help in green play, they always won the division. Now, granted, Kansas City division is much harder now than the yeah. North, but they were always competing for a playoff spot. They were always in the postseason. So – I think that's what's going to happen with Kansas City. You're going to look a lot different. There's going to be growing pains, of course, this season. But moving forward, they'll be a lot better for it with this new compensation of draft picks that they have to build out the rest of their roster. Yeah, and I mean, it's definitely interesting to see how all of these wide receivers are linked, right? Because Christian Kirk got overpaid, right? And then Devontae Adams was like, hold up. Christian Kirk got $70 million. Um, Excuse me, I'm like at least 10 spots better than Christian Kirk and the Packers were like uh you are but also we just paid Aaron Rodgers crazy money so unfortunately we can't keep you so sorry so they trade him to the Raiders the Raiders go you know we have money 
you know what we want to do? Win the division because we're going to go real bad with our with our record if we don't get someone spectacular. So they give him this mega contract, right? Which Devontae Adams, in my opinion, is the best wide receiver in the league and he deserves best wide receiver money. Like the dude is spectacular. But then Tyree Kill was like, hold up, I'm better than him. I want more money. And the Chiefs were like, well, actually, according to our statistical spreadsheet right here, and Tyreek was like, nah, no, I want money. And the Chiefs were like, but what we're offering you is not even bad. It's actually quite a lot more than the vast majority. And he was like, nah. So then he just went somewhere else. I mean, I see what you're saying. Like the Chiefs, if they wanted to keep him, they could have done it. But I just don't think that they thought that he was worth it with how he, you know, is getting closer to 30 with how, you know, they have other needs, like they need wide receiver depth. Like they went and got Juju before Juju. It was Miko Hardman and Tyreek. And who's that other guy who went to the Raiders? Um, Demarcus Robinson or whatever his name is. Yeah, that was their, their depth for wide receiver. And I think the chiefs were like, you know, if Tyreek ever gets hurt, we're probably pretty screwed. So we're going to get what we can for him maximize it, go get some other guys and probably still be fine. And man, did they get what they wanted for him? I have never seen a wide receiver go as much on the trade market as Tyreek Hill went. I think Tyreek will still be good with the Dolphins. Do I think he will be as good with the Dolphins as he was with the Chiefs? No, quite simply because Patrick Mahomes is not there, but I don't think he'll be bad by any stretch. Yeah. A few key points I want to point out before we move on to the last topic. Yeah, Christian Kirk, he really messed it up for everybody. Um, from what I mean, everybody, I mean the negotiators of these contracts, the higher yes. ups, I mean receivers, they they were they were smiling. They're like, yo, Kirk got like, that. Yes. <laughs> I can I can get even more. Um with Devontae Adams, the rumor was Green Bay matched it. Like they had the money to give him. He just was like, I just want to go to Vegas. I want to be with my bro, Derek Carr. Um, and that says which a lot. Which they are about, friends. I don't blame him. Which they are friends, but I think that says a lot about the cap ceiling that I've kept articulating about the Packers as a postseason threat. I mean, this is who they are. They get to the NFC championship and lose. And last year, they didn't even get there to lose. They they lost the game before. Um, So I think he understood the tap ceiling there. And he was like, you know what? Let me play with my homeboy car and let's see what we can make out in Vegas. With Tyreek and the Chiefs, you're right. Uh, What I did notice about Reek the last few years, he started to get hurt a lot more than he usually is and that's what happens with a speedster like that you put a lot of stress and anxiety on your feet on your hamstrings on your lower extremities that the extreme is real but he also dropped a lot of balls and he was such a deep threat that I thought Reed and Hill slowed themselves short in terms of diversifying his route concepts look they're going to keep playing too high move them around like the Niners do Debo look if yeah, there's one thing some, I can give Kyle some slot, run some across right. the field, some crossing routes, like right. that dude run, would burn everywhere on a crossing exactly. route. Exactly. Run some mesh, run some outs, run some, yeah. run some um drags. It doesn't always have to be a post or a vert or a fly, like diversify it up. And if there's one thing I can give Kyle Shanahan credit for, um, is he diversifies his play calling. Now he has mm-hmm. to do it because his quarterback play is so limited. Hopefully Trey yep. Lance can um, change that narrative moving forward, but he puts Debo Samuels in places to be successful. He puts George Kittle in places to be successful. He got on Brandon Ayuk a lot this past year because he needed him to be nuanced in terms of knowing the playbook, where to be, when to be, and how to be precise with your route running because we're going to go to you because I'm creative. You never know when the ball is coming to you. 
Andy Reid, as creative as he is, is such an offensive genius he's been throughout his career, sold Reid short offensively. And I think that opened yeah, the door for him to be expendable because it started to become, you know what, he's our deep threat. He's starting to get a little hurt. Defense are taking him away. He drops a lot of balls. We have, like you stated, Chelsea, no depth <laughs> outside of him. Like Look, the Colts depth is up, bad, but I mean, bad, not but as bad as that. The Chiefs depth is, well, man, Nico Harmon hasn't panned out. The ironic part about Nico Harmon is he was drafted a few select. Well, he was one of the receivers taken ahead of DK Metcalf, who Kansas City dearly wants now. So imagine <laughs> DK with Tyreek. Oh, my gosh. Like, if that, if that ever happened, that would, <laughs> that would be crazy. <laughs> that would have been wild. But Miko hasn't panned out fully. Now, to Miko's defense that he's articulated, it's because Tyreek was there. I never got to show my ability. Now you will, buddy, because it looks like you're going to be the primary deep threat alongside Valdez. You're wide receiver too offense. now, so uh, live up to your words, buddy. Yeah, kind of as well. And Juju, he's going to be in the slot. He's going to thrive, all of that to say the least. But they've improved their wide receiver depth because I think Valdez Scantling, I think Juju Smith-Schuster, and I think Miko Hartman are a lot better depth core than Miko Hartman, Brian Pringle, and Demarcus Robinson, who is a Raider now. And when the yeah. Raiders got Robinson, they were, like, excited. And I was like, yeah, as long as he's never a wide receiver, one, two, or three, that's a great move because he's more of a four. And he was arguably the Chiefs' worst receiver on the roster. So, you know, Kansas City improved their depth. That was very important for them. But I think this move is really about the short-term productivity of, of Tua Tungvaluwa. They, The Dolphins manager finally decided we're not going to go all in on Deshaun Watson when they let Brian Flores go. Tua is our guy. We're going to invest in him. I just, you know, this is a little side rant. I just need NFL teams moving forward to invest in their rookie quarterbacks early. Like, don't just draft them and just have them suffer for two years and then have a eureka moment. Like, oh, man, let's develop around him. (laughs) Right, Trey Lance, exactly. Like, if you're going to draft this guy, build around him. When the Bengals drafted Joe Burrow, that same draft, they got T. Higgins. That next draft, they got Jamar Chase. Boom. They didn't wait two years. Justin Herbert was very grateful enough to be in the charter system where Keenan Allen and Mike Williams are already there. But a lot of times, these quarterbacks coming in, they don't have the receiving core to make them be successful. Trevor Lawrence looks like for a second year in a row, is going to be playing with randoms. Like, that's going to be his yeah. weaponry. And it's Which is a really shame stunt. because that dude is talented and he got Super so talented. much hate last year and was so some much. of it his fault absolutely like he made some real dumb decisions but you're on the jacksonville jaguars and your wide receiver one is like dj or dk chark or like like what's the man supposed to do like and i like dj chark but he's a two and at that yeah, he's year, not a one he's not a one and around that time where he was starting to play well he got hurt early in the year and they were screwed i mean that because marvin jones his best days are behind him in Detroit. He's no longer what he used to be. Um, and so now Lawrence has the great um, circumstance of playing with Christian Kirk and Evan Ingram and Zay Jones. Oh, my gosh. This is so bad. So bad for him. I feel bad for him. But Miami made sure that Tua didn't suffer the same fate. I just feel like it shouldn't be year three that these quarterbacks get the help that they need. I see it with Daniel Jones in New York. I see it with Tua now. Um, and I just I just needed to stop for these NFL teams to have the quarterbacks that they truly desire, because you set these guys up to fail. And then when they don't live up to their fullest expectation at the end of the rookie deal, you're looking around for the replacement. Guys are getting fired. 
and fan bases are wondering, dang, he's trash. Why didn't he pan out? And it really just comes down to when they decided to put their future within his hands. They didn't do a great job developing him. And I think that's going to be the biggest mystery with our next topic. When it comes to Malik Willis, he looks like he's going to be QB1. There's been talks he can go into the top five. I've even heard Detroit might take him too, which is crazy. But it's safe to they say that he won't. Do that. <laughs> they don't need to do that at all. But it's safe to say he won't get past the top 10. Does he deserve top five buzz in your eyes? And in a weak quarterback class like this one, is it fair to say he has the highest upside of them all? No, I mean, I think the dude is talented for sure. But I do think that there are some caveats. Number one, he played with Liberty, which is Liberty is by no stretch a bad team in college football. Like they have, you know, kind of risen out of the ashes the past couple of years. But, you know, he doesn't play in the SEC or the Pac-12 or the Big Ten. You know, he's not playing top tier talent, but he he is skilled. I mean, he is an amazing scrambler at running the ball. His arm talent is spectacular. The dude is very talented. Personally, I'm of the opinion, like earlier, how you talked about the quarterback class, strength versus weakness, right? Last year's quarterback class was, you know, one of the strongest that I had seen in, you know, a long time. But if we were going to, um, you know, if we were going to take Malik Willis, and say, where would Malik Willis be in last year's draft? He would by no means be first or second or third. I mean, maybe four, probably five. So if the best guy in the draft this year, who's a quarterback, would have been maybe fourth best last year, I think that there's just a little bit of a a caveat, you know, like, He's talented and he's going to be good. Like, I think he's going to be a decent starter, but he's not Herbert. He's not Burrow. You know, he's not Trey Lance or Justin Fields or, you know, any of these guys. I think he will go top 10. He won't make it out of the top 10 for sure. But top five, I mean, I just think there's too many good offensive linemen and too many good edge rushers to justify taking a quarterback who could be really good or average. Like his ceiling is amazing. But if he plays bad, like, it's not good, you know? I mean, looking, kind of looking at the teams in the top five, Houston is there, right? Houston's quarterback is Davis Mills. Apparently, Houston really likes Davis Mills, which that could be very well (laughs) be a smokescreen. But also, that would be totally a Houston thing to do, to be like, Davis Mills is the guy, and then... He's like not the guy and you just suffer for another year. So apparently, according to some reports, they they like Davis Mills. Um, apparently, the Giants still appear to be rolling with Daniel Jones for another year. Does that mean that they won't take a rookie? Not necessarily, but I feel like they have so many other needs that they're going to take something else. I could see him going at six personally to the Panthers because their quarterback is Sam Darnold and he's just really bad. Um, but top five... Uh, I don't know. I just think there's just so much talent in the top five that is not quarterbacks that people just aren't going to be able to resist. Like the dude from Michigan, like Thibodeau, his name is hard, Thibodeau from, from Oregon. I mean, you got Equanu from NC State. You're like you have some super, super, super talented O-line and D-line guys. 
which is not common. Like there are not a lot of drafts where you have, you know, four, five, six guys who play on the lines who could go top 10. Like exactly. that could happen in this draft. Really and because happen. of that, I just, I just don't see him. I don't see Malik, Malik Willis going top five. He'll go top 10. And if he doesn't go top 10, he'll go like top 12 probably. But I just feel like there's too much other good talent in the top five to justify taking a guy who is not bad, but, you know, is not a Justin Herbert, you know, is not a Chase Young or, you know, just like, or Bryce Young, sorry. Like he just doesn't have the pedigree of those guys. So I'm of the opinion, no, but that doesn't by any stretch mean I think he will be bad. I just think there's too many other guys there that just will be better. Yeah, in a perfect world, this draft should really be the first 10 picks, rather, should be nine linemen and maybe one receiver, if I'm being honest. And maybe so I, one linebacker, like that Alabama guy who's just spectacular, like right. him. But I right. I agree. Like <laughs> It should really be like nine linemen and one receiver. But we know Atlanta and Carolina and Detroit are in confusing quarterback conundrums. Um yep. Now, if I'm Carolina and Atlanta, I'd bite the bullet and don't take one this year because the See, quarterback class coming up is very good. Now, I'm gonna I'm I gonna agree. dive into the Panthers and the Falcons last year. Right. Um, Atlanta should have took Fields. Yeah. <laughs> and Carol or should have took Fields. Should have took a quarterback. Carolina for sure should have took Fields. I, I uh -huh. don't understand yep. them taking JC Horn. Now, JC Horn before he got hurt was a solid rookie corner, but not he looks stupid because guess what? In this draft, there's a ton of corners. So you could have already yeah. had your quarterback of the future in fields behind yeah. a trash hole line, but you could have already had your QB of the future in fields. So now in this draft, you can get that corner if you really desire it or take that top tier lineman. So you won't have this internal, internal strife where it's like, man, our old line's not that good. We really need a tackle, but bro, we don't have a quarterback, so we really need that. But dang, you know, like it's yeah. Carolina no, for I'm sure should have took yeah. Carolina for sure should have took a quarterback last year. Well, my Panthers sure. fans were so angry. They were like, "Why would we take Chasey Horn when Justin Fields is right there?" And I was like, you know, my quarterback is Philip Rivers, so you're really just not. You're kind of talking to an apathetic party, like. You really are, and they and they and the fan base tried to sell Sam Darnold, but I saw the preseason games, and I saw early, yeah, the way they the way they're scheming Darnold offensively is not going to work long term. It was a lot of deep and dunk. I was one of those people. I was like, you know, if he was going to succeed anywhere, it would be with Carolina because of the be weapons Carolina. they have. But he yeah, still didn't. but <laughs> he still didn't, and a lot of that is on who Darnold has become at this point, pro wise. A lot of that is on. Matt Rule, who looks like coaching as an NFL guy, is above his pay grade. I think he's yep. looking over his shoulder to the college ranks as we speak. I don't think he's long-term going to be the franchise guy moving I'm forward. I'm surprised he's still there team. now to be I am with. too, but according to what I read to The Athletic, him and the owner kind of had this agreement of like, you need to do better, and if you don't, you're out of here. But if you do better, we'll help you stick around. But there is no way. Like a Carolina. coming to Jesus moment. Yeah. Like, but be better and stay or suck and like you're gone. Sorry, dude. Like, like, you know, it's bad when they get rid of Joe Brady, who was like the hotshot OC guy from LSU. Yeah. He comes in and you're thinking he's going to be a part of the Sam Darnold revolution. And he was the scapegoat. 
basically. Um, yeah. Rule was out here like, we need to run the ball more, which when I looked at their preseason games early in the year, they were very McCaffrey-centered. A lot of dick and dunk, a lot of <laughs> yeah. running the football, and then when McCaffrey yeah. got injured, it was basically like, okay, Sam, you might have to carry us a little bit more offensively, and he fell apart completely. So for Carolina, that's going to be their biggest regret for the next probably seven years because I like Justin Fields. I think Justin Fields is going to be a solid pro. He gets overhated too. I mean, he's on he the does. Bears. Like he's on the Bears, and on. he was playing under Matt Rule. I mean, not Matt Rule. He's playing under Matt Nagy, another Matt, another Who trash Matt. Almost as bad. Almost as bad. So I mean, what what can he do personally? But I saw flashes against Pittsburgh. I saw mm-hmm. flashes in Lambeau against Green Bay. Justin mm-hmm. Fields has talent, and hopefully. Matt Eberflus, former co- defensive coordinator, you know him well, can yep. uh, help modern offense into fields his image so he can be successful. But back to Malik Willis. Um, I think Malik Willis is QB1 because he has an upside of a Dak Prescott and a Josh Allen. I think he's got the arm of Allen, but he's got the athleticism, the tools, and the leadership of a Dak. And so what what's going to be going well in his favor and when I say in his favor I'm talking about Malik is the Josh Allen experience so when he came out of Wyoming it was the same thing played at Wyoming his stats didn't look spectacular but if there was one guy that was a part of the Josh Allen bandwagon it was my it was my dad he was a huge part of that Allen bandwagon coming out of Wyoming he was like yo turn on that bowl game where they played somebody and maybe I think the potato bowl or something and he was like yo Allen made these two big throws he did I'm like, okay, I mean, cool. He's got a huge arm, but he's not accurate. Who throws? Played, nice. Yeah, That's more than I've made. Bad. <laughs> right. Played pretty bad it, against subpar competition. Okay, we'll see. And what a lot of people don't know about Josh was he was supposed to come out the draft before the one he was actually in. But he didn't. He stayed another year. His stock kind of didn't really tank completely because he still got drafted high. But he wasn't that top guy. He got jumped by Baker Mayfield and Sam Donald. So the best thing that ah. happened with – with Josh Allen was Jordan Palmer worked on his fundamentals and then that arm strength and accuracy became one and it all worked. So with Malik, you're going to be drafting him based upon potential and the belief that whatever offensive system he's in our coordinators and maybe some private tutors on the side can get the best out of him as a long-term pro, because the thing that resonates with me the most when it comes to defining who can quarterback at this level is the throws. I'm not going to lie. It really is the throws. So I probably should have paid attention a little that bit. That is Josh inherently what a quarterback is. So what a quarterback is. So that's important, but their ability to make pro level throws. And to be honest, that doesn't mean you have to have the biggest arm. Yeah. It can just mean if Drew it's a Brees. tight window, I mean, yes, Drew Brees, perfect example. If it's a tight window, you can get it in there. And guys that are automatically new could do that. Just seeing their tape, Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, and with the Patrick Mahomes narrative was crazy because he was kind of in a similar position as Malik, where, yeah, he played in the Big 12, but Texas Tech sucked. And they had a narrative that they their offense just made quarterbacks look like video game gods or where they could just yeah. step out on a field throw for like 5,000 yards, 50 touchdowns. But that can never translate to the pro level. But the thing that separated Mahomes from past Texas Tech QBs, in my opinion, was that arm. Was that arm? Like he can make platform throws with ease. And I was like, he's that guy. And that translated to the next level. Malik has that ability, but yeah, he struggles to read defenses. He's not the greatest in the intermediate passing concepts. His footwork is all over the place. And to be honest, he relies on his athleticism and pure arm talent more so than the key elements of being a NFL quarterback at this level. 
And while the game has become a lot more wide open and more spread based, deriving from its collegiate roots, you still got to be able to line up your receiver and hit him in stride. Because if it's you're late, True. if you're off, that's a pick or an injured player on your team. That's never a good sign. Right. And I mean, I think that the things that Malik Willis is good at, I think they're good. And the things that he's not so good at are teachable. It's not like he can hit no one, you know, it's not like he has zero arm strength, you know? So his footwork and reading defenses, like that comes with time. Like some people are just more inclined. Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Drew Brees just comes naturally to them. They just have that kind of mind. Other people doesn't. That doesn't mean it can't be taught though. You can't teach athleticism, but at the end of the day, you need not only athleticism, but also those fundamental mental parts of your game to be effective. I could very much see him going to Atlanta if he was going to go in the top five, but I don't know. They kind of really seem to like Marcus Mariota, not going to lie. Like right after Matt Ryan was traded, I think they signed Mariota like 45 minutes after Matt Ryan was traded and the whole fan base was like woohoo and honestly I'm kind of on that train like the dude deserves another chance like with Tennessee they drafted him Tennessee was bad he was bad didn't work out he was injured you know goes to the Raiders has a role that is limited and when he gets chances outside of that limitation he performed that doesn't mean he's going to be a spectacular starting quarterback, but I do think he deserves another chance. And again, with how strong the quarterback class is next year, I would roll with Mariota this year. And if you still suck, just take Bryce Young. Like, I feel like it's not that hard. It's really not indeed. And I think Atlanta is prepared to join the tank bowl next season. They got Mariota. Yeah, they're not going to be good. Regardless. They're not going to be good. So I think think, uh, Arthur Smith, I think that's his name. Yes. Yeah. He articulated probably to Arthur Blank, look, man, we take it anyway. So let me get my guy in the building that I have chemistry and a history with the Mariota. And let's at least be competitive and on our way to a four and 13 season, because that's pretty much Atlanta's future in a nutshell. Right. Um, I mean, you wouldn't want to take Malik Willis and say, this is the team for you, except we have no O-line, no receivers, not a running back who's a true running back. If you don't count Cordell Patterson as a as a bona fide RB1 because he does so many things. Also, our defense is also kind of bad, but we do have AJ Terrell from Clemson who actually really showed out. So we have him. But really, outside of that, yeah, there's not really much going for us. This year, if I'm Arthur Smith, I go, okay, we roll with Mariota and we plug every other hole except quarterback that we can. So by the time next year comes around, you can take Bryce Young and he'll have at least one O lineman. And one receiver. Wow. I, Who would have thought? I, yeah, I for sure expect Atlanta to either take one of those linemen if they drop or go corner the tag team with AJ Terrell because having two that elite corners. Yes. Because having two elite corners in an NFL offense that is coexisting in 2023 or 2022, rather, that's a plus. That's a benefit. You're always going to need that. Um, I think with Malik, yeah, he may. It's either Carolina or Seattle. Um, Carolina yeah. seems like the team that makes the most sense, but I also heard Matt Rule has a connection with Kenny Pickett. The only problem I have with Kenny Pickett sliding into that spot is Matt Rule is not Matt Rule rather is not going to be the team's long-term answer at head coach. So yeah. you don't want to pick the quarterback because of what the head coach wants of a guy that won't even be there long-term. So their owner 
Tapper, he likes stars. He likes mystique. He likes box office. And Malik Willis provides that due to his upside and ability to perform. More so and than any other quarterback in this draft. Quarterback. Exactly. So I think that makes the most sense for him there. And Seattle is another spot that I wouldn't be shocked with because a lot of people don't remember this. In 2017, I think uh, I don't I don't hey, I don't want to mess this story up. So I'm gonna just take a shot in the dark, basically. The Seattle and Buffalo were talking. And I think the talks were um <clears throat> Josh Allen for Russell Wilson. So Pete Carroll's <laughs> always yeah, that wow. was a, that was a conversation. Imagine so, that. Exactly. Now Pete Carroll's always wanted, has always liked a big arm quarterback. It makes sense. You're in Seattle, those elements. Um, you got to be able to be able to throw that ball in between the wind and the rain of Seattle. You got to sling it up there. You really do. So Malik is his type of QB. It's just going to come down to, will he be there? And who knows? Like, like you said, I've heard a lot of smoke screens during this draft process. We're in April. The draft is at the end of April. So it's about that time where you start hearing a variety of rumors, like Trayvon Walker going second overall. Kayvon Thibodeau no. falling out of the top 10, like, no. like goofy stuff, like goofy stuff where I'm like, bro, that doesn't even make sense. So I, I expect the draft board to be non quarterback in the top five. I don't see a quarterback going in the top. I think Detroit's going to take uh, Thibodeau. And if they're not going to take Thibodeau, they're going to take a lineman possibly. I think or they're going to go a Hutchinson. Um, I think Jacksonville, to Hutch, I think Hutchinson to Jacksonville is a lock after they kind of, um, resolve some of their offensive line issues in free agency by keeping Cam Robinson, bringing, bringing in Brandon Sheriff. So I think they're going to rock with a D lineman to go opposite of Josh Allen, the other Josh Allen, who's a monster. Oh, who I like the man. lot coming out of he Kentucky. He destroyed us last year. That was the worst. We beat Josh <laughs> Allen and then we lost to Josh Allen. And I was like, this is just confusing. Yeah. Yeah. Josh Allen, man. He's, he's that guy. He just plays on a very bad team. So um, that's going to be the top five. And then I think six through 10, I, I think the Panthers and the Seahawks, they're going to take a quarterback and should they know, and you, you just hope they don't regret it. Because I remember the New York giants when they took Daniel Jones was expecting Justin yep. Herbert to come out and he didn't. So when he didn't come out, it was kind of like, dang, uh, who do we take? And what they should have did was waited for Justin Herbert the next year. That's yeah. or just wait next year for a, a better quarterback class. Instead, they reach for Daniel Jones. They're stuck with him now. He's underperformed. He's never had a chance to succeed. And here we are with him there. So in a weak quarterback class like this one, where a better quarterback class is down the pipeline, don't pull a giant if you don't have to. If you really right. don't like somebody in this quarterback class in the top 10, don't reach for him. Just wait right. for a value pick later or just wait next season, period. And select the best per person available on your draft board and go from there. Quite honestly, I think the most interesting part about the quarterback class this year is how we're talking, right? About next year's is so strong. And it's not even the top two that are strong. Like there are other guys who are going to come out who are going to be pretty talented, you know, at least in line with some of the guys coming out this year. So my thing is, what if every team that's bad is thinking that way? Right. What if they're like, oh, we're just going to plug other holes until next year where hopefully we can get someone spectacular. So what if theoretically these guys end up dropping, right? Say out of the top 10, right? They go to teams that you're not expecting. 
Okay, because Matt Rule might Matt Rule and just say, I like Sam Darnold and not take a quarterback. So then, you know, that pushes the pipeline down, right? Pushes the Matt Corrals and the Carson Strongs of the world down further into the draft. So my interest is if this happens and teams take that similar kind of thought, what if some of those quote unquote lower end quarterbacks in this draft, the Corrals and the Strongs, not that they're bad, they're just, you know, top top tier what if some of those guys drop in to the second round if i'm a if i'm the colts i i'm very curious about that you know because if someone who's supposed to go first round which this probably won't happen but on the off chance that it does what if you have a matt corral who drops to your pick in the second round do you take him to groom under matt ryan who is the best quarterback in atlanta falcons history like, I think that just prevent, presents an interesting question. And I think the probability of that happening is low. But if that did happen, I quite honestly don't know how I would feel about some of those teams that, like, they have a starter, but do they? Like, for example, Pittsburgh, right? They have Mitchell Trubisky. He earned another shot, obviously, with, you know, going to Buffalo and kind of redeeming himself. But if that happens and you're Pittsburgh and you're, like, kind of near the bottom of the first round and, you know, someone like a – Kenny Pickett or whoever drops I mean do you take him because he's there why not so that's I just think that presents an interesting question so if that happens that's going to be super super intriguing to me yeah Pittsburgh Indy Detroit even New Orleans to say the least because even though Jameis Winston's back on a two-year deal I don't think he's solidified himself yet as the team's long-term answer you could even argue the Vikings the Vikings as well that's another (laughs) great option so if those guys fall because all the upper echelon teams that are just bad, when I, upper, when I mean upper echelon, upper echelon and trashness are just like, you know what? We're just going to submit our bid for better quarterback prospects next year. That means teams that need value now because they realize we're not going to be bad enough to be in the contention of a Bryce Young or a CJ Stroud next season. If a Corral or a Willis or a Pickett fall to Minnesota or to Indy, or whatnot. Now you're thinking something different. So let's say hypothetically, because it could happen. First 10 picks, they do like we think they should, which is go best player available, lineman, maybe a receiver, maybe, well, Kyle Hamilton's kind of dropping because of his slow 40, but they go lineman and maybe a receiver. All right. So now we're in on corner. So now we're in pick 13, 14 land and Minnesota may not want to resolve corner as a huge issue now because Guard, because Sauce Gardner's not there. Derek Stingley's not there. So maybe they don't have a super high draft grade on the guys from Washington. But Kenny Pickett is at is in your lap. And so now you can start thinking about the replacement for Kirk Cousins because I think Kenny Pickett would fit perfectly in a dome. So if he's playing in a dome like eight times a year at home, I think you get the best out of him. So if Kenny Pickett is in Minnesota's direction at like 13 or 14, and they no longer have the option of going corner because that's where they really want to go to help refurbish that secondary. That's a great value pick for them. The Saints yeah. love Kenny Pickett off of what I read. So if at 18, they can't get the tackle, they can't get the receiver they like, they can't get the corner, but the quarterbacks there, I'm pretty sure they consider it. So, yeah. Um, but again, it's a quarterback driven league and a lot of these bad teams do follow whatever the media puts out these scouts put out the hype machines so I think Pickett 
and Willis and Corral won't survive uh, the top 10. I don't think right. all of them will survive the top 10. I think Me two either. of them will at least go in the top 10. Three of them will go in the top 15. I think that will be that. Uh, I just hope for their sake because they're not elite enough, Chelsea, to just go on a bad team and recreate the wheel. I just hope they get input. I hope they get placed in great positions. It may not have, it may not be a great team that you're in, but at least it's a team that might be mid, but they have a good coaching staff. Or they can connect you with a quarterback coach that can get the best out of you for this system. They build a system around you for you to be successful, like Baltimore did with Lamar. They threw out the Joe Flacco and threw in whatever Lamar did great, utilizing the athleticism to its fullest advantage. You got an MVP out of it and two playoff berths. So I just hope for their sake that happens for them because they're just not good enough to be plug and play guys. So right. further and like best case scenario for these prospects, they fall and they get put in positions that are conducive to their success. Worst case, they get picked early and you got to struggle within an organization that doesn't have competent leadership. Right. It's just an interesting thought experiment because if that did happen, that would be fascinating to see. And I think that if that did happen, honestly, that would probably be for the best of most of the guys in this quarterback class, because I feel like these guys are going to have the most success if they can sit behind someone for a year or two. And with the Colts, with Matt Ryan, like that's what they would get. You put a Kenny Pickett or a Malik Willis behind Matt Ryan for two years, they're probably going to be a lot better than they were coming out next year. You know, you don't as much have those problems because it's, you know, it's top class of you know the quarterback crop so you don't really worry about that as much but I think that that would be to the benefit of the guys coming out this year will that happen probably not will they get stuck on sucky teams probably will some of them not be good happens every year I just kind of wish it would happen the other way you know the teams would just take a flyer and take someone next year but like you said it's a quarterback driven league the probability of that happening is pretty slim I think it's a fun thought experiment a great thought experiment, but the inevitable will always prevail. Uh, this is the end of episode 48. It was great to have on Launch Code Football Podcast co-host Chelsea McVay. Um, before we go, Chelsea, just talk about how how did you enjoy your time on this podcast segment? Um, what can you not wait for as the NFL draft is, I think, 27 days away? And last but not least, dream a draft scenario as a Colts fan, what do they get done that make you feel like it'll be a successful draft when the draft period is over? Right. No, I had a really good time on this podcast. I mean, you are pretty obviously very knowledgeable about the NFL. So it's fun getting on a podcast with someone who is as passionate as I am about what I enjoy. So obviously loved coming on. Thanks for having me on, man. Really appreciated it. Um, as for what's coming up, it's just going to be interesting to see all of the rumors swirl, right? I mean, the GM of the Colts, Chris Ballard, like he kind of has a, a propensity for trading in the draft and trading draft picks for players. A couple of years ago, he traded our first for DeForest Buckner. We see how that worked out. <laughs> really good. Top 10 defensive lineman in the league now. Um, and I mean, he made another humongous offseason deal in tra trading for Yannick Ngakwe. Holy cow. That was a spectacular trade. And all we gave up was Rocky Asin, who is a cornerback, which quite honestly, like, did he improve a lot last year? Yes. Would I rather have a top tier pass rusher? Yes. <laughs> Him and Quiddy Pay and DeForest Buckner and Grover Stewart 
and Deo. Oh man, we might actually have a pass rush this year, which is just going to be super fun. But as for like my dream scenario of the Colts taking, preferably having a first round pick, but I've just kind of, you know, you know, buried that dream out of just the knowledge that that's just not going to return. Um, I would prefer us take wide receiver in the second round because I think that there's going to be some very, very, very good receivers that falter there that very well could have gone in the first round, but just won't because of how deep the class is. Um, second round, I wouldn't mind a corner. We need some cornerback depth. I'm hoping we sign Honey Badger so we can have our three safeties and you know, that just be that, but probably a corner or a tight end in the second round. And then whichever one we don't take um, in the fourth round, you know, taking corner or, you know, pass rush or whatever. in in the second round, um, we do need O-line depth, which, you know, after losing a couple of guys to, to, you know, free agency, we do need that. I am hoping that we sign Jarvis Landry so that the rookie that we take doesn't feel a ton of pressure. But if we don't, I hope that we take a rookie that is getting a lot of buzz, even though sometimes that's not the wisest route to take just because that can be a little misleading. I feel like generally speaking, Chris Ballard has proved himself to be an incredibly competent drafter considering he got Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson in the same draft, and both are going to be perennial pro bowlers and all pros for the rest of their careers. Like, I can't name another GM who did that in the same draft, personally, at least not to my knowledge. I'm sure it exists somewhere, but that happening was just absolutely insane. And I mean, Chris Ballard, he's gotten a lot of hate this offseason, especially on Colts Reddit. Colts Reddit just doesn't know how to feel. It's like one second, they're like happy, and the next second... They're mad and I just get on there. And I feel like I just lose brain cells every time I get on there. I'm like, you people just need to decide how you're feeling. Like, come on, man. But yeah, wide receiver, tight end, another corner, some O-line depth. We don't need running back. <laughs> Woohoo. Um, or we don't, we don't really need quarterback either. I mean, we have Sam Ellinger as our backup. Yay. You know, it was so bad at one point that Colts Reddit was talking about how good Sam Ellinger could be as our starter. That's how bad it was. It, it was it was some trash on Colts Reddit. Yeah, I'm excited for the draft. Obviously, it sucks that we don't have a first round pick because there are so many players in the first round that fit our areas of need. But you know, it is what it is. As long as we just get a receiver in the second or third round, honestly, that's all I really care about. It's just someone good. You know, I really wanted. David Bell from Purdue because I'm a Purdue fan and an Indiana fan. So I have to deal with the big 10 every year, which means I have to play Ohio state, which means, you know, I got crushed by Ohio state last year. Like we do every year, you know, it is what it is. I'm just constantly suffering, whatever. But apparently I know that David Bell had a bad combine and I know that he's not very fast and we kind of need someone who is not slow. So my dreams of us taking David Bell are probably slowly dying but I just really want a receiver. That's just, is that too much to ask? Like, can we just get one top tier rookie in the second round? Like if we get that, I'll be like, yes. And then knowing Chris Ballard, someone from like the fifth round will end up being, you know, not that bad because he's just really good at drafting. Yeah. If there's one thing Chris Ballard has showcased this off season, it's very expressive. He let everybody know Carson Wentz is out of there. Um, he, he's so been, did Jim Irsay. He he, so did Jim Irsay. They were both expressive Which, about that. I don't know. Which, I don't know how I feel about that. Like, which, just let him be, you know? Yeah, just just let him be. It's like, look, we get it. Wentz didn't live up to the hype that 
in my opinion, I think Frank Wright pumped into their ears uh-huh. like he yep. can do it and then he mm-hmm. didn't. But looking nope. back in the year, this totality, um, that defense was a letdown the last game of the year, which sucked because they were pretty <sighs> solid all season. We it, were. <laughs> nope, nobody played well in that final game, but Jonathan Taylor. Like I'm just yep. gonna be real. He was the only yeah, one that no. played well. Everybody else is the kinda, only one. Meh, the only one. Um, I forgot about the Yannick pickup in the trade. That is huge. Yes, Yannick it is. provides another edge rusher on the outside with Quiddy play to go in the interior of DeForest Buckner. Rocky Sin, like you said, did have a nice comeback year, but then Kenny Moore made the Pro Bowl. So I think that made yeah. Rock a little bit expendable. Plus, you're in a very deep cornerback class where you can get a ton of value in the third and fourth round with a guy yeah. that you can kind of plug in and maybe play that boundary corner role. So who knows? Um, I think it's going to be wide receiver, tight end, cornerback in some order for the first three rounds of the draft for the Colts. And I think that's a fair assessment to make. This is a draft where, <clears throat> I'm not going to lie, you'd be usually disappointed not having a first-round pick, but it's so deep at a lot of the key positions that Indy needs that it can really work out for them if they follow their draft board to a T. Um, so, you know, with the Colts, they have a lot to look forward to moving forward. I think it will be an interesting time period for them to have. But um, I think if they're able to make it work out, it can. You brought up David Bell as well. I like David Bell a lot too. Me too. His combine oh. <laughs> just wasn't good, and it kind of shocked me. But he reminds me a lot, when I turn the tape on, of a Calvin He's not as fast as Calvin Ridley, so I probably can't say he's Calvin Ridley-like anymore. On tape, he looks like he is. He's Jarvis Landry. Jarvis Landry mm. didn't have great combine numbers either. Now, a lot of Jarvis Landry defenders were like, yo, the reason why Landry sucked in the combine was because he had a broken foot, I think. He had no business competing in the combine, but he did. He had ailments. But I think Bills can be more of that guy, where his measurables might not look great, but he's a slot receiver that can yeah. play on the outside. He's tough as nails. He can yeah. catch, and he can make plays after the catch. He can be your wide receiver, too, as a Which ceiling. is what we need. If he's is, like Jarvis what... Landry, and Jarvis Landry is a bona fide wide receiver, too, give me David Bell. You know, like, yeah. I just... <laughs> David Bell is going to be such a steal for somebody in the next three years. I think a lot of people are going to look back and be like, dang, David Bell got picked in the fourth round because we all know you got the big five at the receiver position that's getting love. Alave, um, Garrett Wilson, you got Traylon Burks, you got Drake London, Drake you London. got Jamison Williams. Like they're getting yeah. all the love as they should because yeah. they have the tape, they got the play to prove it. But the David Bells of the world, the Sky Moors, um, even the Tyquan Thornton from Baylor, the guy that ran the fast 40, he was the fastest 40 at his wide receiver position. When he ran that 40, I think a lot of people are like, oh, here we go. Another John Ross situation. But you turn or on Paris his tape, Campbell. Paris Campbell, <laughs> but you turn on his tape, he's not John Ross. Like I see a little bit of DJ Chark. And if you can get DJ Chark at possibly around four, that's solid as a wide receiver too. So I'm just really excited for this draft. This draft is so, it's going to be, one of the better drafts in recent memory because it's really deep. And I think a lot of teams in the in the league, I think every team in the league, this is extreme to say every, I might be doing hyperbole, can get value with the selection. Really, I don't think any team in the next four years have any business looking back in this draft and I'm like, dang, we flubbed on all of our picks. They should at least get a value in one of them, whether that's on the trenches, whether that corner, receiver, um, running back. You may miss that QB, but those other positions – if you scout right and go after what you need in your system, you can really, really hit home. But um, this was a great episode to have with Chelsea McVay. 
Um, I would love to have her back on. Um, we've talked on the side. Um, the plan is for me to be on her platform down the line. So whenever that materializes, be on a lookout for that, guys. I'll post it on my page. Um, I'll be back next week to continue football talk as we edge closer and closer to the NFL draft. But enjoy this listen. This episode will be out Saturday. So be on the lookout for it Saturday. I'll be back next week, guys. Peace. See ya. Yeah.